Please turn with me then this morning to our text, which comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, as we'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As far as the reading of God's law. God's Word, excuse me. I've entitled this sermon, Prayer, Our Spiritual Medicine. And we will see why I titled it this way as we unpack what Paul here says about prayer and its effects. But because of the title, I also thought that it might be wise and prudent to make two statements about what I'm not saying by saying prayer is our spiritual medicine. I want to make clarification at the outset so that nothing is taken to mean what it ought not to mean. And then after that, we can move forward this morning discovering the true beauty of what it is that Paul says here about prayer in verses 4 through 7. So to begin, statement number one. What prayer, our spiritual medicine, does not mean is that if you pray to God, He will make all your problems just disappear. Poof, like that, they're gone. Right? A great example of this to point to comes from the very experience of our author this morning, the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, Paul says this to the saints in Corinth. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul is being harassed here by a, a messenger of Satan, he tells us. And all that he wants is relief. He wants to be left alone. Yet this messenger of Satan is tempting Paul into sin, to instigate and to stir up a desire in Paul to feed his flesh. And Paul pleads with the Lord three times, he tells us. He asks the Lord frequently, please take this thorn away from me. And God responded with no. God would not take away Paul's affliction at his request. Now this is interesting for this flies in the face of a lot of teaching you might get today, especially within the, those health and wealth and prosperity circles, isn't it? Where the Christian life is about just frolicking about in fields of lilies your whole life, having no problems and no stress as long as you just have enough faith. But this is a perversion of God's Word, brothers and sisters. Because what's Paul's argument in what we just read? His argument is that he's experienced so much grace 
Paul has been so blessed by God, so much has been revealed to him that he could be boastful about it. And it would be true. Everything he says would be true. And so God does not answer the prayer of Paul as he desires because God knows what is best for Paul. Just likewise, brothers, for you and I, God knows what's best for you and I even if we cannot comprehend it. To you and I, Paul's request to have the thorn removed from his flesh seems like a a reasonable request, doesn't it? But God says, "If if I grant this relief to you, Paul, conceit would result. This would be just another spiritual triumph in the life of the Apostle Paul. He already lives a life of self-denial. He no longer fears death. And all this would do then is puff Paul up as it would be just another triumph for him. And isn't it pride that is the ruin of many men today? What does Proverbs 16, verse 17 say? Pride goeth before the fall. And so we see that although the Lord refuses to take away this thorn in Paul's side, He has Paul's good and benefit in mind. As it it is causing greater humility in Paul by experiencing this thorn in his flesh and not having it removed. He's learning to depend solely on the Lord as God has given to Paul the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that He has given to you and I. And the Holy Spirit is sufficient to aid us in all of our trials. This is the point that God is making to Paul. And so Paul, seeing his own weakness, recognizing that he must rely on God alone, realizing that in these moments when we are feeling the most vulnerable, when we are feeling the most weak and frail, this is when the power of God is most apparent. It's when it's most apparent to us. It's when it becomes most apparent to those around us who are looking at us and seeing how we will behave and react to certain trials. For it is the power of God only that sustains the Christian in these moments. And so what was Paul's response? He understood this. He replied, if I am made strong in my weakness, then guess what? I'm going to boast in my weakness. For when I am most weak, then that is when I am most strong. And so we see here, brothers and sisters, by this first example, God just doesn't take away any affliction and problem that we have at request. Right? Prayer just doesn't make things disappear and go away. For a lot of times, in keeping things like this thorn in the flesh like Paul had, it is to our spiritual benefit and growth. Now the second thing that I am saying, but that I am not saying by the title of our sermon, and it may seem unnecessary to say to you all, it, all, it might be an evident thing, but you never know, and so I, I want to just say it anyway. What I am not saying by prayer being our spiritual medicine is that you do not need modern medicine or that it is wrong to take medicine for your aches and for your pains. What I don't want to have happen is someone to read the the title or to hear the sermon and to go to their medicine cabinet and to throw all their medicine away into the garbage can and say, "Ah, I only need prayer. That's my spiritual medicine. It will cure all my ails. I don't want that to happen. That's not smart. So if you take uh, blood pressure medicine, brothers, please continue taking it. Okay. Although God does use the prayers of the saints 
as a means to grant to us those things that are necessary to our physical bodies. But what we will see is our text here is speaking about spiritual benefits we receive in prayer. God gives us medicine. He gives us doctors uh, who help us bring relief to our pain and our ailments. But our text is dealing with God's sustaining power through prayer spiritually in the life of the believer. And so that was our, our first order of business this morning. Right? Clarifying what it meant to have prayer being our spiritual medicine. And so then for the remainder of our morning, we're going to look at this text under three headings and see how in fact prayer is spiritual medicine for the believer. And the headings then are this. One, our confidence in prayer. Two, our exercise in prayer. And three, the result of prayer. So our three headings. Our confidence in prayer, our exercise in prayer, and the result of prayer. And so let's begin then by looking at verse 1 once more. As Paul exhorts this, the saints saying this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. After reading this epistle, I think that if we are honest with ourselves, Paul probably puts each one of us to shame. And I say this because as we read this letter, we see how much joy Paul is filled with in this letter. How he tells the saints constantly to rejoice. How Paul says how much he rejoices and and is glad. And yet here in verse 1, Paul says to the saints, rejoice. And then he says once more, I say rejoice. And why do you think Paul, over the course of these ten words spoken, twice tells us to rejoice? It is because as a people, we are so averse to rejoicing in the Lord. You'll find most people, even Christians, only rejoicing in the Lord when things are going well in our life. And even oftentimes when things go well, we often credit it to ourselves. We pat ourselves on the back and look to ourselves as a reason why things are going well. But even in those circumstances, when we do look to the Lord and find joy in Him, it's only when things go well. Then we want to praise Him. And then we want to thank Him. But is this what Paul is commending to the saints here? No. Rather, Paul is saying to the saints in Philippi, and what Paul is saying to the hearts of you and I today, is we are to be, re- we are to be rejoicing in the Lord always. And always means at all times. That is when things are going well, And that is when things are not going so well for us. And the Apostle Paul is a living example of this, isn't he? Paul sits in prison. Not a good situation for him personally. Yet all he can talk about is joy. Look at chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, what Paul says. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you always in prayer, for you are making my prayer... Excuse me. I thank God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel. Remember, this is at a a time in which Paul is awaiting a sentence and that sentence might be death. Which is why it's so amazing to see even later in this chapter as Paul says to the saints that there are those who are going around preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry And what does Paul say to them? 
He says, let them continue to do so as long as they are proclaiming Christ. No matter what their sinful intentions and motives were. And those sinful motives were to cause Paul greater harm as he sat in prison. And yet, what was Paul's response? It was whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, Paul says, I rejoice. And I could continue on and on with examples, but this is sufficient to show us how we ought to always be rejoicing no matter our position in life. Because, brothers and sisters, our rejoicing does not depend on our ever-changing circumstances in life, whether good or bad, but rather our rejoicing in all circumstances is to be maintained because we rejoice in the One who, do, who does not change. We rejoice in the One who remains the same. Is this where your joy lies? Or is your joy found in things? In your weekly paycheck? If it's large, you rejoice. If it's small, you don't. But rather, we ought to rejoice regardless for God's provision in our life. Rejoicing in the fact that as children of God, He gives to us all that we need, whether in abundance or just enough. And He will continue to do so for the entirety of our life because God's love for us will not change. We have the Lord on our sides, brothers and sisters. And shouldn't that be fact enough to rejoice? How can we not rejoice knowing that God is on our side, working for our good? And so when we experience trouble in our lives, when health problems arise, when financial hardship arises, don't stop rejoicing in the Lord as every circumstance is a circumstance suited for joy. People will change. Friends will come and go. Laws will change. Some that benefit us. Some that don't. Right? Our jobs may change. We may go from a job we like to one we dislike. But our joy is not to be bound in things, but rather our joy is found in Jesus Christ, the One who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What a peace that ought to bring to the hearts and minds of the saints. Right? God's promises do not change. God's love for the saints does not change. God's purpose for the church does not change. And so our confidence in the Lord, likewise, ought not to change. And so what does this then mean for our, our life of prayer? Well, what does James say in James chapter 5, verse 13? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And then in verse 16, James says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You see, God bids us to draw near to Him in prayer and to Ask Him for all that we need, both in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, as the prayers of the saints are effectual in Christ. As He promises to to hear us, to to lend His ear to the believers. In John, His first epistle, chapter 5, verse 14, John says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Brothers and sisters, God won't change His mind either. Right? 
This should be our confidence in the Lord. This should be our confidence as we gather together each Sunday to come together in corporate worship that God hears His people. He will answer our prayers and His mind will never change. And this should be cause of great rejoicing amongst the saints in the immutable will of God. And so this ought to teach us to come boldly before the throne of grace each Lord's Day and be ready to petition God for all that it is that we need, knowing that He is working. When we pray for visitors and we pray for growth, brothers and sisters, God listens and He hears us. Don't think that He doesn't. And we can be confident that He is exercising His will according to His good pleasure in all things for our good and benefit. And this ought to then affect all of our life. Listen to what then Paul says in verse 5 of our text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Another word here for reasonableness might be moderation. Paul says, let your moderation be known to everyone. Knowing that our hope and confidence is in an unchanging God should cause us to live in light of that fact. That fact ought to guide all of our life. This ought to cause you to, like Paul, endure all with patience. To exercise moderation in all of your life. To not injure a brother and sister by selfish desires. Looking only to your own good and interest. To not be consumed or taken up with the things of the world that it hinders your exercise of moderation. To not be so consumed with what's going to happen tomorrow that we forget about today. This world is so moved by unruly passions. Just think about it. What is happiness to carnal man? It is satisfying sensual desires, lust, envy, greed. It is a self-love which directs their steps. It is this false love where the soul's appetite lies. But such should not be true for the Christian. As our love is a love that is controlled by love of God. Our happiness is found in serving Him and not ourselves. Now this love of God was lost through the fall. Yet, for those of us who believe, this love of God has been restored in us. Yet not perfectly. And so we still struggle with exercising moderation because of it. Yet moderation calls for the subjection of all of our passions. It calls for our mastery over all of them. And yet this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things on the earth or that we, uh, can't, be th- that we can't think about or be concerned with our earthly affairs. But rather what moderation means is that we are to regulate these concerns in light of who we are in Christ. So really what Paul is saying in verse 5 to the saints is that we are not to be moved by the things of this world like this world. For we know that the Lord is near. He will give us aid. When trial presents itself, we are not to worry and fret and live in fear because our confidence is in the Lord. And so we are to have mastery over our affections. Knowing that things just don't happen by chance, but God is providentially working in our lives and that should bring to each and every one of us great security. This should cause us to live in moderation, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We should not allow our passions to control us, 
fear and sorrow should not overtake the Christian. It's not that we won't experience them, brothers and sisters. For these things are what it means to be human. But what Paul is saying is that we are to control and moderate all of this by our life in Christ. People should see our reaction to things and see a difference between how we react and conduct ourselves and how the unbeliever reacts and conducts themselves. This is why Paul then goes on to say in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of us here have been made anxious or worried about money, or about our job, or about our health, or about temptation, or about those who trouble us? And Paul says here, we are not to worry like the world does. For we have recourse. And here is our second point of the day. Our exercise of prayer. We, brothers and sisters, have not been given the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But rather, we have been given the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is why Paul says, let your request be made known to God. For we have been given the Spirit who helps us in our weakness, who intercedes for us in prayer. And He intercedes for us according to the very will of God. And so you want to know how it is that we avoid the sin of unlawfully caring for our worldly affairs? By unlawfully being consumed with this world and being controlled by it? Paul says, pray. Are you feeling anxiety over something? Paul says, pray. This is the Christian's great recourse. Remember, the saints in Philippi are are dealing with the Judaizers who are trying to get them to conform to their Jewish practices. They're dealing with people who are trying to get them to set their minds on earthly things. And what is Paul's response to them? Pray. If you're feeling pressure and worry, pray. Seek relief in the Lord. Bring all of your prayers before the Lord. I mean, how many of our troubles today stem from the fact that we try to deal with them ourselves? That we try to handle them and fix the situation ourselves? And what happens? The trouble and the problem just worsens and worsens. This is because of your failure to pray, to trust in the Lord, to recognize your own weakness and to look to the Lord for strength. This is what Paul recognized as he petitioned the Lord having this thorn in his side. And be reminded, God is not ignorant of our needs. He is the omniscient God. He is all-knowing. Yet He is also a God who is our provider. He provides to us all that we need happily. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on? Is life not more than food? In the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And the answer, brothers and sisters, are, of course you are. Of course you are. So know that God gives good gifts to His children. But what you must do is you 
must ask Him in prayer. As Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 13, Whatever you ask in My name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in My name, I will do it. And yet, in asking, brothers and sisters, we must be reminded that our asking and our prayer is bound by the parameters of Scripture. Right? Jesus isn't talking about asking for private jets and for fancy mansions. Right? And so our prayers are to be bound by the parameters of Scripture. We are to pray in accordance with the will of God. For God cannot act. He will not act contrary to who He is. But you want to know, brothers and sisters, what brings healing to grief? What brings healing to anxiety and to suffering? Paul says it is prayer. And it is this reason that I have called prayer our spiritual medicine. And I hope that it has become clear to all of you here today. For when we pray, we have the very promise of God. And it is this promise then that leads us to our final point of the morning. The result of prayer. Look at what Paul says here in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the saints here to turn away from yourself and to turn towards God in full reliance and He will grant to you peace. Were these not the very words of our precious Savior Himself? What did He say in John chapter 14, verse 27? He said, My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. What a great promise we have from our good God, isn't it? Right? God gives to us in prayer peace and tranquility of heart and of mind. He gives us peace in the very depths of our souls, brothers and sisters. A peace this world will never experience. And this peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds. And in this saying here, we have great imagery as this word to guard or to keep or defend means to garrison or to fortify with troops. And so here we, Paul paints for us this picture of troops stationed outside a, a city or a fortress to defend it. And Paul says, this is the peace that God gives to you. God's peace protects you as if you are surrounded and fortified by troops. He will protect you against the wiles of Satan. He will guard your will and affection so that you will not be overtaken by discouragement and despair. What a beautiful picture, isn't it, brothers and sisters? And what is it that you and I have done to deserve it? Nothing. We have done nothing to deserve it. We receive it in Christ Jesus. In His atoning work applied to us by the Holy Spirit. This is that same peace you receive that causes you, when you should be most anxious according to this world, to have the greatest amount of peace. When you're on your deathbed and you sit there and you're reciting Scripture. When you're poor, your finances are little, you have little. But to the rest of the world, you look like the richest person in the world. Right? This is why Paul says that this peace surpasses all understanding. This is why Paul why imprisoned, facing death, 
could be most joyous. Why we here, starting up, sitting in this library together, a nice library though, can come each Lord's Day and rejoice in the Lord and be glad and have joy. Right? When it, the world in most circumstances would be troubled, believers in those same circumstances have the greatest peace. Right? It is because, brothers and sisters, it's not our peace, but it's the peace of God which cannot be shaken or overthrown. How often is it that we feel this peace in times where we don't even know how it is that we feel it, that, uh, that peace, where you're going through a certain circumstance or a situation, you say, man, wow, I'm overtaken, I'm overcome by peace in this situation. Right? It is a peace we, we can't comprehend. It transcends the human mind, doesn't it? This is why I've called prayer our spiritual medicine. As medicine is defined as a, a treatment or a prevention of a disease. Our disease, so to speak, being sin. Right? A sin that causes lack of contentment. Which causes us to trust in ourselves and our own capabilities. Yet for the believer, we have recourse. There is medicine to help our fear and our anxiety and our de- despair. And that medicine is called prayer. And through prayer, we are said to have the peace of God, which quells those unbridled emotions. And so let me exhort each and every one of you here this day, brothers and sisters, to be diligent in prayer. If you desire peace, then you must pray. You cannot think that you will receive the peace of God if you neglect the duty of prayer. You will not. For it is in the exercise of prayer that God promises to guard our hearts and our minds. And this promise is only for those who are united to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the effectiveness of prayer does not belong to the individual. The ability to exercise prayer is not inherent in you and I. There isn't a magic formula by which we ask God and we receive. But rather, the effectiveness of prayer comes from one and only our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is Christ who makes the prayers of the saints effectual. And so that is our good gift as being those who are united to Christ through faith. And so thanks be to God for that faith in Christ. Please bow your heads with me if you will in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for the words here given to us recorded by the Apostle Paul that, Father, we come before You seeking that peace that surpasses all understanding. For You have granted to us, Father, the aid of the Spirit. And so we ask that the Spirit would apply this peace unto our life. That those of us who are overtaken with uh, despair and anxiety and worry and fret, Lord, that You would help to increase our peace. That, Lord, our peace would be in Christ that we would know that no matter what happens to us, You are working it out for our good and for our benefit and for Your glory. And so, Lord, we pray this day that You would uh, be with us, that You would teach us what You would have us to learn this day, that we would go about the rest of our week uh, dwelling on what we have heard, Lord, and exhibiting it 
in our life. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truthfulness. We thank you that you do not change and that you love us and that you care for us and that you are faithful to your promises. And so, Lord, we thank you and we come before you in prayer this morning, asking all things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.